Okay, we're going to try this again. Welcome to the Closing the Gap podcast. This is our first live show, take two. Uh, we started a few minutes ago. Um, today, we're going to talk with Ashley D'Antonio. She's a recreation ecologist from Oregon State University, and she's our April fe featured role model. And what we do with Closing the Gap is we try and feature a... Uh, women and other gender minorities in the fields of STEM and in the trades. And this is a project of the Mid-Valley STEM CT Hub. Uh, we're based in Albany, Oregon, and our region that we work in is Lynn and Benton counties. And we also have uh, a program where we uh, just do and try and expand STEM and CT opportunities throughout our region. Um, waiting for Ashley to join in here, and uh, she had some issues trying to get in through the app before, so hopefully we can get her in here. She's going to try it now. She just got hit me up in the chat here. Okay. Um, let me tell you a little bit about Ashley before we talk to her. Um, She's at Oregon State University. She's an assistant professor in nature-based recreation management. I'm really interested in learning more about that. Um, and she does scientific research as well as teach classes and mentors graduate students in her work at Oregon State. And she is in our live studio. Ashley, can you hear me? Hi, Ashley. Hi, can you hear me now? Yeah. Oh my gosh, we got it to work. Yay! <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for my pa or for your patience with oh my that. Oh no worries. It's just like uh, the poor people who were on here listening had to listen to me like stumble over everything because it just doesn't happen immediately. Um, and so I, I need to like record some uh, some things that I can throw in here while we wait for people to connect live. But uh, it's all a learning process, right? Yes, exactly. And this is this is exciting for me to learn how to, <laughs> how to use Podbean and to connect live on a podcast. This is very fun. So I, lear I learned a lot through this process, too. Awesome. I'm so glad that you uh, took me up on the offer. I've, I've just been um, really wanting to do a live one, a live show. We've done all ours where we've recorded and we've done some editing and and I just need a break from editing. I think I'll just be really honest. So I just want, I wanted a break and do something live. And I mean, what's the worst can, that can happen, right? Right. So I'm super excited to talk with you. I've uh, been looking at your Twitter account and I've been looking at your website, your Weebly website. And um, it's really fascinating work. Can you Tell, me, tell us a little bit about what recreation ecology is. Yeah, happy to. So recreation ecology is actually a pretty new-ish field. It kind of started in the 70s and 80s in the United States. There's some you know, literature and studies that go back a little bit further, but it's a fairly new field, so not a lot of folks have heard of it. 
essentially what recreation ecologists do is we strive to understand the impacts that outdoor recreational activities like hiking and mountain biking, kayaking, canoeing, those sorts of things, the impacts that they have on the environment. So how they might impact plants or wildlife species. And so by understanding what those impacts are, we can then better understand how to mitigate or manage those impacts in a way that's acceptable. So in other words, a lot of my work is done in national parks where we'll go in and see how recreation in national parks might be impacting the plants and animals. And then we can make recommendations to park managers about what they might want to do to continue to allow recreation, but also make sure that we're still meeting our conservation goals, right? That we're not you know, threatening species or accidentally trampling all of particular species of plant or impacting water quality. Wow, that's very interesting. And so how many national parks have you been to? Oh, that's a great question. I've <laughs> been to maybe, I think oh, I counted this up once, I think about 20 national parks. And we oh, have wow. about, I think, 61 right now in the United States. we got a couple new ones the past couple of years. So I, I think 61 is correct. Uh, so I haven't been to quite half of them, <laughs> but I have a lot, gotcha. a lot on my list that I want to visit. So what, what is your area of specialty within this field in terms of what kind of things do you study at national parks? Yeah, so within recreation ecology, I've kind of specialized in understanding people's behaviors. So where where exactly they go when they're in these parks and protected areas like national parks. So I use geospatial information systems, which is a type of program that allows us to understand where people are in space. And I look at when people go hiking, what specifically what trails do they go on? Where do they stop? Do they leave the trail? And by understanding how people behave when they're recreating, I can better understand the impacts they might have. So if a lot of people hike off trail, that's more impactful to the ecosystem than if on the same trail system, everybody stays on trail and doesn't like stop or get too close to wildlife or those sorts of things. So I really focus on people's spatial behavior where people move in space and time on these trail systems. Wow, that's cool. Um... Tell, how do you become a recreation ecologist? Yeah, so I have an undergrad in ecology. So I have my bachelor's degree in ecology. And then I decided I was really interested in social sciences and how humans interact with the environment. And so I went to graduate school at Utah State to study something called human dimensions of ecosystem science and management, which basically <laughs> just means big long name. <laughs> basically just means I get to study both the ecology and the social science of a particular area um, at the same time. And so I went to get a master's degree in that and a PhD in that as well. And so really to be a recreation ecologist, you don't necessarily need to go all the way through to get your PhD. Um, but a lot of students, if you're studying degrees like recreation management or um, tourism management, these programs where you're getting both the ecology side and the social science and even environmental psychology side, those give you the skills to understand outdoor recreation impacts and be a recreation ecologist. Excellent. That's cool. Um, and you got your undergrad in Penn State from Penn State? Yeah. Yep, that's correct. Yeah, I went to so Penn you, State for my undergrad so, and studied. So you're a Nittany Lion. I grew up. Uh, <laughs> I grew up out there. Oh, nice. Uh, yes. My dad worked at in State College, um, 
that's where his main company that he worked for was. And we, we grew up around the Scranton area, but I used to go to campus quite a bit as a kid and go to football games and all that. Oh, that's wonderful. Yep. I'm a Nittany Lion. I only missed one football game during my entire <laughs> undergraduate career. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. It's a, it's an awesome place to watch a football game. That's cool. Yeah. So we have that in common. That's great. Uh, I, I love this. Um, uh, I just I really enjoyed looking on your website and learning about some of the projects you and your team are doing and you know uh what what's kind of what are some of the way the practical ways that you take what you're learning um through the data and how people visit parks to really um kind of show people what's what's really one way I'm sorry I'm not saying this really uh coherently I, what i'm trying to get at is 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 what kind of information are you trying to get to get to uh like park services and entities who are trying to fund and take care of these parks um it hasn't always it we just went through an administration that quite honestly what uh, land management have a different views on land management <laughs> yeah. and so i imagine um Hopefully we can get back to and not trying to get into politics here, but get back to where we are managing our lands a little uh, more properly and and expanding on some recreation opportunities. What's what's something that uh, are some of the takeaways from your work? Yeah, that's a great question. So a lot of public land management agencies due to various policies, should be making the best kind of science-based decision they can if they have the science. And so a lot of what my work is, is to collect data on kind of the who, what, where of recreationists in these parks and protected areas. So a really common thing that a lot of my studies do is just to try and figure out how many people are there coming into a trailhead, for example, or using a lake system. Uh, so managers generally have a, a good idea of which places are busier than others, but we can come in and measure exactly how many people per hour are coming into a trail system. And that can help them understand is that level of people, is that meeting their objectives for how they want to manage that location? And some of my other data can, we can ask visitors about the conditions that they experience. So we can ask visitors, do they feel crowded? Are they experiencing conflict? Uh, do Are they having a good experience? And we can use that information to make changes. The managers make the changes. I give them the, the information, but uh, we can give them information about different techniques they might use to, to help visitors have a better quality experience in these locations. And then from the ecological side, I collect a lot of data about where recreation impacts are, things like social trails, which are trails that visitors create, or campsites that maybe shouldn't be there that visitors have created, that park manage management hasn't created. And so those maps can tell managers where those impacts are and how bad they are. And then they can use that to either sometimes go in and restore those areas or maybe you know, designated if they think that it's a trail that visitors really want to use to have a better experience, maybe we make that trail more sustainable. So this kind of like the who, what, where of recreation and how people's experiences are can really inform this dual mandate that a lot of agencies have where they're trying to provide quality recreation experiences, but not do that in such a way that the natural resources are compromised. Gotcha. Exactly. Makes sense. Um, what are your feelings? Do you feel that there's been an increase 
in recreational opportunities, outdoor recreational opportunities in terms of people's participation since the pandemic? Have you seen any differences or has things generally been pretty active? Yeah. So, um, there's definitely been, there's studies that are ongoing to measure like exactly what the magnitude is, but there was a recent uh, outdoor foundation participation report that looked specifically at this and they found that there was an increase in participation in terms of the number of people that are participating and also the frequency of participation. So there are definitely new users that are, have been engaging in outdoor recreation because it's a fun, safe activity. Exactly. Uh, and, and I think folks that, there have been some studies that have shown that folks that already were participating are potentially engaging more. And just, you know, anecdotally, I've been doing that myself. I've been walking around my local park way more than I did, you know, before. Same here. And I've, you know, I, go, I live in Albany and I walk generally from my house, which is um, close to downtown to Bryant Park. And I've noticed since the pandemic, just so many more people down there than I've ever seen before. Yeah. And uh, much more people and many more people. I'm a disc golfer. Many more people engaging in disc golf. Lots of new disc golfers out there. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it's completely anecdotal. But um, it by by far, like so much more traffic down at that park, so much more, more kids using the uh, BMX bike park, more people using that BMX park as like a, uh, for their uh, rem- RC little trucks and things like that. So, yeah. And just many more users. And um, it's been really interesting to see, you know, cause it is safer to be outside and uh, engage in some activities instead of being in indoors and close proximity. So I was wondering, you know, if you're seeing that as well. Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see like once things indoors start to open up, right? Our museums and movie theaters and bowling alleys and all that, like how many folks will continue continue to participate or if this will be I hope I hope a lot of the folks that have you know learned and engaged with outdoor recreation continue to do it after the pandemic um but it'll be interesting to see how many folks continue to recreate either in the same way or if folks you know shift back to the whatever indoor non-outdoor recreation activities they were doing before right right that's yeah that's what I'm I'm curious to know that as well from from the hub standpoint we see all the parks in our area, we're, we're in the process of building uh, an asset map. And we see all those parks as assets for our area. And uh, as we're trying to build a, our own uh, STEM ecosystem, we include those assets in the map because being outdoors, you're learning, you're learning so much and, and you're engaging with nature and you're learning about ecology and all sorts of STEM related topics. So with that in mind, are there any local parks that you're d- doing current studies on or thinking about or any? Yeah. Or, okay, yeah, cool. Love question. to hear about it. Yeah. So uh, locally, so mo- honestly, most of my work has been outside of Oregon uh, because I have kind of this history of working with the National Park Service and Oregon has Crater Lake, which is a great national park and other national park units. But I've built my career working in places like Rocky Mountain National Park, Grand Teton, Yellowstone. But I have a colleague up at Western Oregon University, and we're just trying to get started a 
recreation ecology study at Minto Brown Park outside Salem. So that's a brand new study that we're just starting that we just got funded to do that's really going to look at how recreation use in this very popular really great urban park might be influencing some of the turtle species that are within Mm. that park. So I'm partnering with a herpetologist. So he studies reptiles and amphibians, and we're going to work together on this collaborative project. So brand new, just starting. I wonder, yesterday I was at Bryant Park disc golfing, and I saw two students who were measuring trees like distance between trees and they were doing tree ecology. And it made me think, I was like, Oh, are they, I was like, I wonder if they were Ashley's students. I was thinking or doing, you know, I don't know. But uh, because you are in the Department of Forestry, correct? That is correct. Yeah, I'm in the College of Forestry at Oregon State. And yeah, so it's interesting. um, It's an interesting college to be in because you don't often think about the recreation as falling within the umbrella of forestry. But recreation is an important activity that we do in our forests. And so um, I really enjoy being in the College of Forestry and getting to interact with these people that study trees and folks that study wildlife and other things and thinking about how recreation impacts or influences those or how these great natural places provide opportunities for outdoor recreation. Yeah, I think that's an interesting fit too, because when I came across you and and that you were interested in being on the podcast and, and being a, a featured role model, I saw your College of Forestry background. So I, was, I wasn't really putting it together with recreation though at all. So I was really pleased because I did a lot of outdoor recreation work for uh, when I was younger in New York at a treatment center. I was the outdoor recreation coordinator for these were boys who um, lived with us and and had a lot of issues. And I did all the outdoor recreation stuff. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So I have that kind of background. So I was really like, oh, that fits in with the College of Forestry. I was really interested by that. Um, How do you balance? So I know you also teach. So how do you balance this research and work you're trying to do with teaching? And and maybe it's hard to put a number on like how much of a percentage you do for each, but how would you, how would you break that down if you could? Yeah. So in my job as a assistant professor at Oregon State, I spend about half my time teaching and then about half my time is dedicated to research projects and a, a little bit it to service to the university. So like serving on committees and, um, you know, doing workshops and those sorts of things. So I teach classes in parks and protected areas management, which includes recreation, but it's also broader. I teach a recreation management class. And then I also teach planning for sustainable recreation, which teaches students how to kind of design a site. Like how do you design a trail? How do you design a campground? What do you think about when you're designing a parking lot at a trailhead? So that's a really fun class that combines a lot of different things. And my research really helps inform my teaching. So, you know, I use the studies that I do in class as examples, or I can talk about my own personal experiences working with managers. And so I feel like it really adds a lot to my role as a teacher to be able to, you know, share with my students my own experiences. And I'm always with every research project, I'm learning something new. And so I think it also helps me remember what it's like to be a student. Um, And I'm also very passionate 
about teaching. I used to be a middle school and high school science teacher for a little bit. And so this this job is like my dream because I get to do research, but I also get to teach. And sometimes it can be hard to balance those things. Uh, But I, that's what I love about my academic position is I get, I get to do both. Oh, wow. That's great. That would, it would be wonderful to have you at some point, um, maybe do some a presentation for local teachers if you had any interest in doing that we'd love to try and uh get you involved with that kind of work if you were available oh yeah for sure i love i love interacting with teachers i i taught for two about two years biology and chemistry for middle school and high school students and some days i really miss it but i do really enjoy getting to do the research but i absolutely love interacting with teachers that's that would be great yeah i especially you know when on on our website, by the way, if you're listening, you can go to our website, midvalleystem.org, and read our interview we did with Ashley. Uh, we did a written interview just as a way to introduce, and I've tried taking some of that and expounding on in our conversation today. But I do want to refer to that really quickly um, because there's a couple of phrases that I really loved that you wrote, and one of them is uh, – I want to, you said I want to work towards making STEM classes more inclusive and welcoming to all students. Um, and then you followed that up with I am really passionate and dedicated to making sciences more accessible to folks. Can you uh, talk a little bit about more about that and go into a little bit more detail for us? Because so, that was a those were two sentences that I pulled out that were really, uh, really kind of hit exactly what we're trying to do here at the hub. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I think, you know, I'm a I'm a first generation college student. And so some when I went to college, and I was first introduced to STEM classes, it often felt a little overwhelming for me. (laughs) So I, I mean, I succeeded, it was fine. But I always think about those folks that are coming into these classes. And historically, STEM, you know, has been dominated mostly by by white males, it's definitely getting better. But I think sometimes the way that these courses are taught or the approaches or the, the idea that, you know, we don't value people's own personal experiences or we don't meet people where they are and focus on growth can make STEM fields seem a little bit, um, you know, not as welcoming places. And so in my classes and in my outreach, I try really hard to employ different inclusive teaching practices. So in my, you know, all of my spare time that I have, but one of my, one of the things I do in my spare time is learn about different ways to incorporate inclusive practices in my classroom. And so valuing people's personal experiences, trying to break down the power dynamics between myself and my students, um, you know, trying to focus more on growth because students enter these STEM classes with various different backgrounds. And so trying to focus more on growth and not this kind of genius concept that often gets focused on in STEM or really flipping it around and trying to learn from my students as much as I can and not be, you know, sometimes they say that sage on the stage where I'm the holder of all the knowledge and I'm just imparting it to you. That's not how I impro- approach my, my classes. And so I've been really trying to make it so that when students come into a STEM classroom for the first time, they're coming in and feeling like, yeah, this is a place for me and I can see myself in this field and removing those barriers for folks entering STEM careers. That's excellent. Yeah, great answer. And thank you for sharing that. And thank you for highlighting that you're a first uh, generation college student. I think um, I think that's such an awesome uh, 
thing to let our listeners know about and any of the students who tune in and listen is, you know, that uh, sometimes uh, if they have the opportunity to go to college or go to trade school or do something, uh, but nobody in their family has, it makes them think that uh, that might not be something that's in store for them. So I love being able to highlight that. And I think just about uh, everyone we've had on here uh, the podcast, everyone we featured, I believe, has been a first-generation college student from their families. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So it that wasn't intentional. It's just worked <laughs> out that way. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I love that. So then um, kids, you know, as as we like to see and, and what another phrase we took from you is, you know, it's hard to become what you cannot see, you know, so... Um, and I think that applies to everybody, not just girls, but even uh, young men out there too. Uh, right. You know, so I think it's just a great message, and that's what we're trying to do with this podcast and and uh, and and with this whole program. So we're super thankful to have you involved. Um, talk a little bit about, if you can, have any advice you can give. Uh, young people who are looking to follow maybe a similar career path to you. I was really intrigued by your first uh, response to that when you said that, um, you know, it's almost like metaphorical for a hiking trail, you know, like, <laughs> you know, you, you're, uh, you know, and I can really relate to that, uh, that, you know, the path that I've taken to get where I am is, man, sometimes I look back and I'm like, how the heck did I get here? <laughs> uh, and how am I doing, you know, how am I basically, I was on a, uh, a call earlier today and saying, you know, I came from workforce development and, and now I'm doing a job where I get to play with toys and do all my hobbies too. So um, it, it sounds, when you're going to recreation management and things like that too, you're definitely following a path that you've already, you know, you like to play and you like to have fun and, and things like that. So I'd love you to talk about your path a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think some things I always tell folks is like, I, you know, it's okay if you don't know exactly what, we, what you want to do. Like when I applied for, you know, my bachelor's degree at Penn State, when I applied for college, I didn't have a hundred percent sure what I wanted to do. I knew I was interested in the natural environment. And so I thought biology was good and ecology really kind of started to get me closer to that interest. But I definitely wandered like I looking back, some of it, my steps make sense. Like when I my extra classes, you know, my general education classes were almost always in sociology. And at the mm. time, they just sounded interesting. But now I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, I was looking for this interdisciplinary, this social science and ecological science mix. And there's like evidence of it from, you know, my transcripts from Penn State. And then I wasn't sure when I graduated what I wanted to do. And I went to teach for a couple of years to see if I liked that. And Sometimes I feel like folks worry that if they kind of detour a little bit, like if, if their path is curvy or if they take a little offshoot, that it's going to, you know, topple some sort of career path they're on. And I don't think that's true. Like I gained a lot of experience from teaching for two years that I now apply to my job today, even if I went straight from that into a graduate program that was very research focused. So, um, you know, those two years teaching, I think I learned a lot of skills that applied to doing to doing academic research, to being organized, to like not being stressed out when things didn't go as planned, <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. working with other people. Um, so I don't, I don't, now I feel like my answer is wandering, like my career path, but <laughs> I think, <laughs> you know, I, it took me some time 
to really figure out like what was the thing that I was most passionate about and to get to this position where I get to study exactly what I love in a position where I get to teach and do research. Like it took quite a while to get there. And sometimes I wasn't really sure where I was going, but I was following the things that were interesting to me at the time while I kind of sorted out like, okay, what exactly is the career path that I want? That's you, you may have thought you were wandering or meandering, but I, I think your answer just nails it. Cause I think I can, I relate to everything you just said. I encounter students all the time who could relate to what you just, just said as well that, you know, and, and one thing I've tried to do in my work is ask students, what are you interested in? And then I take those interests and try and make activities for them. Mm-hmm. And, and then, oh, you can do this as a job? Yes, you can do this as a career. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> what? You know, and, and I kind of get that look like, yeah, you can, you know, don't you, you know, I grew up with uh, two parents who hated their jobs. And, and I said from a very young age, I am not going to go into something that I don't like to do Yeah, and be miserable and unhappy. And, you know, I, I need to be in a job that in a career that I like to do that I'm going to enjoy. And maybe it changes because I get new interests right? Yeah. or new things, or I learned something else and I want to take that farther. And it just sounds exactly what you've done. You yeah. took social science and sociology classes. And then and then what I love what you just mentioned was that you are able to connect that to the other things that you are passionate and interested about. In. Mm-hmm. And I see that all the time, too. And, and what we're trying to do is there's no reason you it, there's no like one thing. If like you like math doesn't mean that you don't like art right. or that you can't like social studies. You, yeah. you, you can like everything or like pieces of each. And they all can be incorporated with each other. And so that that's what we try and do too at the STEM Hub is make those real world applications too. You know, math can be fun and I get kind of scary looks from people like <laughs> like this 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 guy should get committed or something. But I, but math for me is fun because yeah. I as a kid how I really got good at math was I collected the baseball stats in the newspaper and, 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 uh, and I tracked all those stats and I got really good at adding numbers in my head and doing division and multiplication, even in my head and figuring out averages and figuring out, cause I was just obsessed with stats Yeah. and, and I was such a sports guy. And then all of a sudden I was like, wow, my math has really improved. <laughs> and the teacher's like, have you been studying a lot? I was like, no, I just keep these notebooks of baseball stats, you know, and yeah. and I've run into other adults who've did the same thing and stuff. So it's really cool. To, it's like that whole nostalgic thing. But, you know, that's what we're trying to do, too, is, you know, math can be fun. Science is fun. And I love what you said, too, about you like science, doing science just as much as te- teaching it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really important to love what you do. And, and you definitely bring that joy across in speaking with you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just you just sound enthusiastic. And and so I, I knew you'd be really good 
doing the podcast live. I just had a feeling, you know, I was like, <laughs> the more I look like she's a recreation person, they're just used to doing things on the, you know, eh, this is how it is, you know? Yep. <laughs> so I was really excited to have a chance to do this live podcast with you. So I really appreciate your time. Um, was there anything else you want to talk about that we didn't get to talk about? No, your questions are on point. Uh, they're they're excellent. I think we we covered all the things that I think are important, and I really appreciate you, um, you know, highlighting me. And, be, and I'm appreciative that I'm able to be on the podcast. And yeah, I just well, I, mean, a- I appreciate you and your time. <laughs> well, thanks so much. I know you really like to knit too. I do. I do like to knit. <laughs> and but I'm more interested in the science fiction that you read. Oh, I know you like to do that too. I do, yes. So I, I am in my spare time when I'm not knitting. I'm definitely reading science fiction or fantasy novels. Um, the latest, let's think, the latest science fiction that I've been reading is the Binti series. I'm blanking on oh, the authors. Yeah, uh, I've seen those right now. Yeah, it's a series of novellas, but they're all in one anthology now. So I've been working through that anthology. And then I just finished last night Shadow and Bone, which is a young adult oh, yeah. fantasy series that's coming out on Netflix that I had to speed read before the show comes out. <laughs> yeah, I want to try and do that, too, because I have it on my Kindle. And I just heard about the show coming out. And I'm like, oh, man, I haven't finished a book yet Can I? because I can never seem to finish a book. That's just my issue right now. I just like fall asleep before I get into it because I'm trying to read um, I'm trying to read all the Expanse books, too. Oh from the show because i just love the show so much and the books are amazing too and so uh but i love uh ya books too so we should we will have to talk about those one day too i used to do uh i used to do a book review blog oh nice years ago because i have a background and i my degree is in arts i have a literature degree so yeah now i'm doing stem stuff i actually (laughs) think it's a perfect fit because i i know how to incorporate writing and stuff into everything so yeah which is so important for yeah yeah so well i really enjoyed this uh it's just like the highlight of my day so far so i really really enjoyed this thank you so much for being a part of this i look forward to connecting with you more and uh would love to get you to talk to some teachers about science and and you know making science accessible and fun for kids so let's 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 try and uh do that at some point but please keep us posted on what you're doing especially on your local research be fun to share that and highlight you yeah i'm happy to do that and yeah definitely looking forward to connecting with you more in the future thank you thank you ashley well thank you everyone for checking in I hope you enjoyed this podcast and hope you enjoyed our chat with Ashley D'Antonio. You can check everything out related to Closing the Gap on our website, uh, www.midvalleystem.org. And uh, let us know what you think. We'd love to do more of these live shows. Uh, We're going to highlight some of our grantees uh, via podcast over the next few months. We've given... uh, over $166,000 in grants to local teachers and community organizations since December. So we want to really get uh, the word out about some of the work they're doing in our community as well. Thank you again, and we'll see you next month.